0: Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. This is your host Jiro Taylor, coming at you from beautiful Noosa in Queensland, in Australia, uh, where it has been raining solidly for two weeks, but yet the earth has been pumping. So I'm a happy boy. So this uh, podcast is coming to you very soon is part of a. It represents a subtle shift in direction for Flow State. It's the latest emergence uh, that has occurred in the natural flow of life. It's a uh, realization of a vision that's been getting uh, sharper and sharper and clearer and clearer. The deeper I go into uh, within, the deeper I learn about um, my consciousness and the connection to life itself and the reason why I'm on Earth and I feel like why we're all on Earth, uh, which is to express the life force that flows within us in service to the whole that we're part of, in service to people and planet. And as part of this unfolding vision, which has taken me across the world to study with masters and to work with plant teachers and to immerse myself in wisdom traditions and just to have raw experience. What has emerged for me, like the sharpening tip of a spear, is my calling, which is to work with founders of tech businesses who want to make an impact. Founders of businesses who want to know how to do the inner work required, how to maximize their performance so that they can drive deeper impact, so that they can uh, live with purpose as well as high performance, so that they can uh, be the change makers of our times. Because something that's come through so clearly for me is that in this very interesting time that we're living in, we live in 2018, this is a fascinating time to be alive, So many global trends. First of all, there's the specter of global annihilation and climate change and potentially nuclear annihilation, which kind of unites us all. And then there's the solution space, which includes exponential technology, information dissemination faster than ever before, access to capital, decentralization, entrepreneurial trends, a global awakening of consciousness. All of these things are converging and more to create a solution space like never ever ever before and just 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 ruminate on that when you if you're lost in despair if, if if the doom and gloom and the fear is just getting too much first of all turn off the news but secondly just bask in the realization that there are there is change happening all over the world there are philanthropists and philosophers and entrepreneurs and scientists and all sorts of people with very, very, very powerful minds, they are connecting in ways that, haven't be- that, that, that have not that has never happened before with sources of capital, with decision-makers in high levels of uh, political and economic positions, in ways that have never happened before. So we're existing at a threshold. The emerging future need not be the, the bleak annihilation uh scenario that Sometimes we get sort of like sucked into thinking that can be the only way My belief is that there is a lot that is happening right now and the more work that I do um, To explore what I am and who I am and how I fit into this entire ecosystem What life exactly is and the more that I exist in service to life itself the more that I seek to uh, design my life so that I am in contribution to life itself the more hope outweighs despair, the more I get filled with the realization of infinite possibility and potentiality, and this is not just fluffy woo-woo pie in the sky thinking, this is like, there is massive concrete practical systems change action going down, there are climate change scientists collaborating with uh, philanthropists and philosophers to actually create real world solutions, and my particular calling within all this is definitely to work with the tech founders who feel the call, who hear the call, who want to be part of the solution rather than the problem and want to um, put into service their unbelievable intelligence, their access to funding and their ability to turn technology into solutions that help the whole. And that's what Flowstate has evolved into. Flowstate X is a program that's launching very soon that's going to be a tribe for tech founders who uh, want to drive impact in this world. And so this particular podcast that's coming with you is uh, with a fascinating, wonderful, heart-centered human being called Joel DeRoss, who is a friend of mine who has gone through an amazing journey to get to where he is now. Uh, right now, he's the founder of an initiative called the co-founder of Rock Against Poverty, which is a, um, an organization that seeks to alleviate, uh, that seeks to basically solve the problem of disaster relief Solve the problem, first of all, uh, of the fact that so many humans are suffering every single year uh, from natural disasters. And secondly, the problem that the funding solution is not a solution at all because there's so much evaporation of all those billions of dollars that get raised or millions of dollars that get raised. Because of bureaucracy, because of the current system in place, so much of it just evaporates into the ether. And so Rock Against Poverty is uh, an organization that seeks to solve both of those problems through the use of uh, augmented reality and virtual reality technology. Um, So if you wanna learn about this project, this probably represents one of the most amazing applications of uh, AR and VR that I've yet to come across. Um, And if you're one of those people that doesn't quite understand how technology can help us as a species, like how can blockchain actually help us as a species? How can virtual reality actually help us as a species? Well, please listen in to this interview to find out. Um, this is a man, Joel de Ross, whose journey has uh, he's he's come from uh, a, an upbringing in, uh, in an indigenous tribe um, in Borneo, and he's very much influenced by these tribal traditions and this different form of uh, cultural intelligence. Whereby his understanding of like what it means to be a tribe is first hand. It comes through first hand experience, and his experience of being not part of a tribe, being part of a society, being part of a culture that perpetuates separation on so many levels, separation from self, separation from others, separation from nature. He has lived, he has walked in both worlds and now he's bridging them together uh, through technology. <laughs> it's so awesome, guys. Please listen into to this podcast with Joel DeRoss. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Hey, Joel. Um, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Awesome. So just a quick intro for those listening. Uh, So Joel is a a social impact entrepreneur. He's the co-founder of an amazing initiative called Rock Against Poverty. He's the co-founder of an events company called MetaVents and an explorer of how um, immersive technology uh, such as augmented reality and virtual reality can converge with uh in both the music industry the entertainment industry but also in humanitarian disaster relief um so we're going to explore some of these amazing projects um that to me like are, are some of the most interesting intriguing and possibly transformative applications of uh cutting-edge technology that, that i've become aware of so uh super stoked to have you on the show joel and um Thanks. you're tuning in from uh from New York, I think, because you've been on, tell tell us a little bit about the the mission that you're on at the moment.
1: Um, Yeah, so I've um, been working with a uh, NGO um, who's involved in disaster recovery in the uh, Caribbean. Um, So I was joining Dennis, who's the the actual um, uh, founder of Rock Against Poverty, which was uh, started in 2010. Um, on his mission to look at uh, creating food resilience um, for the the British Virgin Islands. And that involves uh, a large um, agriculture project, natural farming, sustainable energy. And um, the the challenge that uh, countries like that have is by bringing – importing, essentially, expertise from other countries to assist them when they don't have any money um, because they've um, uh, been struck by two hurricanes, um, and which left a $700 million damage bill. And so my role was to look at how the platform met events, which we've designed specifically to meet the needs of large-scale festival planning, um can assist them in the um uh, in the development of the uh the the project that the the hara foundation is doing so the um just i'm not sure if uh, too many people know about vr but i'm sure most people do but this is um a vr cardboard headset so this is the rock against poverty headset it starts like starts like this looks like a CD cover you know, back in the day, you fold it out, put your mobile phone in it, and then you're inside a virtual experience. So this is a really affordable way for us to introduce the technology to people who really aren't that tech savvy and give them a sense of how we might be able to access um, expertise from all around the world and jump into a simulation and manage a project from, um, from within a simulation where it's safe to fail. And this is a really important thing because you only get one crack at mitigating against a disaster. And if you've done a bad job of what the you know the 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 risk reduction infrastructure that you put in that disaster comes and it's uh, completely destroys uh, destroys it, um, you have to pretty much start from scratch. In a simulated environment, we are going to have a complete three d model of the whole uh, British Virgin Islands. All of the projects we're going to do will be within the simulation. All of the objects that we drag and drop into that scene and move around are going to be from real suppliers with actual costs. And then we're going to be able to hit that project with a Category 5 hurricane and see how it stands up. So all of this process can be done with expertise from all around the world without them having to fly to the country. We can do it remotely, in real time, with uh, local people. That's Incredibly valuable for people in these high-risk nations, where they don't have much access to money. Nobody even knows these countries even exist, and um, we're we're introducing a capability that allows them to connect with expertise and other countries doing great great projects um, to share knowledge more effectively. Amazing. So yeah.
0: So so is so just to be very clear um, for people, can you just to give your explanation of what Uh, AR augmented reality and what VR virtual reality is uh, just in your words
1: yes so augmented reality um, is um, adding digital information to the the real world so if I was to uh, a good example is uh, Pokemon Go you're using your camera it's picking up the real world and just elements of digital information is being overlaid on top of that Virtual reality is complete immersion in a digital environment and they serve very different functionalities, but are very complementary. For example, virtual reality is suitable when you want to simulate something in the future or in the past. Um, in BVI's example, we are going to create a future scenarios and we're going to build it, um, what, uh, BVI could look like, um, within the simulation and then uh, run a whole bunch of emergency scenarios or disaster scenarios to find out which is going to be the most resilient to the worst disaster that could possibly hit that nation. Once we have that information, we've got a project to execute. And it's, um, then on the ground, you've got this complete digital uh, creation of the project that is going to be delivered in the same way that you might have a architectural pre-visualization. Now you can see what it's going to look like in the future. Once you get on site, augmented reality is something that you can use in real time. So that's pulling the information from the the digital simulation. And if you had glasses or you had a tablet, you could just hold the tablet up and it's going to be able to tell you, walk hundred meters in front of you and put a star picket there. You know, so it's giving you almost superhuman uh, abilities to absorb and execute information.
0: Mm
1: So they're both incredibly complementary and, um, you know, VR is the most versatile in terms of simulation. AR is what you use in the real world.
0: Yes, yes, yes. So AR is is, is where you step into the practical application of what you have been working on in the in in the vr world yes Yes. okay fascinating okay super interesting let's before we dive back into present-day reality um and also the future what 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 your vision is and things like that um well actually first of all let's 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 hear a little bit about the, the big the big vision like what what do you what what is your dream what are you envisioning um when you immerse yourself in these projects what is the big thing that just that keeps you going
1: well, it's the fact that these set of tools that we're building are so applicable to society that I, I really see that in, within, within a decade or two decades, most of the socioeconomic and environmental problems that exist now won't exist anymore as a result of these technologies converging in a very, very specific way. Um, And that is to design the futures that we want and then execute on the most probable or the most, you know, the the highest probability of success pathway to that simulated future. So that that for me is uh, is what gets me out of bed in the morning. The fact that it's connecting our vision to the ability to execute on that. And in a safe environment of a simulation, we can fail as many times as we need to, safely and affordably.
0: Mm. That, that gave me like, uh, it makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up because the, the, way, you've, the way you articulated that, um, and I think for many people, um, will help c- connect dots that previously were really fuzzy. Like what, what is yeah. the point of VR and AR? Like Is it just so that I can put some goggles on and... See a simulation of a whale, or jump off it, jump off the top of a mountain, and have a cool experience. Like, but to actually like hear people articulate um, really impactful uh, and clear visions is, is is really inspiring, man. So thank you for that. Can we jump to the past and explore your journey here? <laughs> yes, <laughs> cool,
1: man. Um, how far back in the past?
0: <laughs> well, let's let's just see let's just see how it flows, bro. Um, well, first of all, like where 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 was your upbringing?
1: Uh, I was born in Sarawak in Borneo. Uh, my mum is Lumbawang, uh, so which is the Aboriginal people over there. I grew up in the jungle, uh, lived there for about six years, so I was born into the tribal world. And I came to Australia when I was six, um, and as soon as I got here, even though I'm mixed race, uh, it was an incredibly racist time in, in Australia's history. And um, I you know i I pretty much disowned that part of my my culture because of the uh the racism I experienced when when I came to australia and i didn 't really reconnect with my tribal roots until my girlfriend at the time uh of when I was about sixteen seventeen uh, she was studying anthropology and uh, they were doing a lecture on um the the tribes of Borneo and so she in- encouraged me to come. And, uh, with no expectation, I sat in the lecture and then the lecturer started talking about my mum's people. And, uh, so that was, that was the first time I'd actually got to process what it meant to be tribal or have that as, as part of my very close, um, history. Uh, I, I got a sense of identity in that lecture room that I never had before. And, um, yeah,
0: and when you were and because leaving at six is quite a, quite an early age in terms of of yeah. memories and things like that. But of course, you had your mother's connection to that culture. Like, what what's your awareness of of the culture or the traditions or the rituals or the or the ways of perceiving life in the world um, from from that culture? Are you, are you do you have an awareness of that?
1: Yeah, deep awareness. So um, the the thing that I always Uh, I tend to not refer to myself um, as a mixed race person um, generally because everyone's mixed race. What I tend to refer to myself as is a two worlds person because Mm -hmm. even from being uh, six years old, I still vividly remember what it's like to be in a tribal environment where you have all of this family around you and you have this connection to the land and the ecosystem and, that is that is really the the thing that I've I've kept my entire life. I've had these two worldviews, not one. And I've always been able to reference one against the other. So in my life in Western world, when something is not right, when it's it's clearly, you know, something's broken there, I'm able to reference this life experience to another universe, you know, this this tribal environment and see if that problem exists there. And when it doesn't, it's clear that something in that tribal culture is working really well because of the absence of the problem that is in this modern culture. So the thing that I've always had my entire life is the ability to reference one culture against the other and identify what are the best qualities of both worlds. Mm. And in my modern you know in my current form of entrepreneurship that's what I do. I converge those best qualities together in all of my projects
0: mm. such a such a valuable perspective when you consider what I view as some of the you know when when, when we look when we just stop and look at the macro picture look at mm. uh, the the planetary humanitarian macro picture um, it's so clear that so many of the well, all of the the challenges and and that we face are results of cultural artifacts like industrialization or, yeah. um, you know, all of them, right? A political system, capitalism gone wrong, in a sense. Now, what? So, so, what is it specifically? Like, do you draw strength or wisdom from? Um, This this other world this other kind of set of values and cultural traditions and if so what what kind of wisdom?
1: Human architecture the difference between modern society and tribal society is The is the model. It's the model of of how uh, It's the model of relationship Um, so to give you an example uh, most people can relate to the idea of modern society being a uh, descendant of imperial culture, which is hierarchical in a pyramid. Mm-hmm. But now imagine a pyramid that's inverted next to the standard pyramid. At the point of the hierarchy, where you have that one percent that you know has all the wealth, that is the base of the inverted pyramid. Mm-hmm. So you've you've got this. At the very top, you have all of the wealth, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and at the very bottom of that inverted period, that's where none of the wealth is, and that's the base of the social architecture of uh, modern society. In a tribal society, it's a circle, so it's a closed system. The environment determines how large that population is. Mm. The principle of tribal culture is to never consume more than the earth can replenish itself. So you're always contained by how much uh, abundance or how much food is within your environment. Within that e- ecosystem is, a, is, the, is this social architecture that I talk about. Mm-hmm. There's, four, there's four layers, essentially. You have the new generation, you have the adolescent, you have the adults, and then you have the elders. Mm-hmm. As you pass through each one of those um, layers, you have certain ceremonies, you have rites of passage mm-hmm. that, that prove to you you've moved into this next phase of your life cycle mm-hmm. and that with that phase comes certain responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So the new generation, they are nurtured and cared for by the adolescents. They're the maternal ones and these are 12-year-olds, 16-year-olds. They have more maternal instinct in a tribe than most 30, 40-year-old people have in modern society. So the, this this relationship between the new generation and the adolescents is is really, really powerful. A lot of it is play. So they're playing being a parent. The adults, they're the providers. They keep the system working. They, they maintain the system. They're out there in the fields. They're hunting. They're, you know, they're, they're uh, you know, uh, farming. They're doing all of the things that sustain the model. hmm and keep it in operation. And then you have the elders. The elders are the ones that contain all of the knowledge relevant to that community. Mm. So there's this really, really simple, beautiful relationship between everybody within that community. And right at the center is this sense of identity. Mm. And everything about that culture reminds you of who you are. It's from your... From your artwork to your poems to your dance to your music uh, to your tattoos, everything tells a little bit of a story about your history, about your place in the in the community, where you're headed, and this sense of identity is so so powerful. It's mm-hmm. like the center of gravity. It 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 holds everything together, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and this this is the this is the tribal model it's it's a self-contained ecosystem where there's this circulatory motion of 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 progress through life you when you as soon as you're born you, you know exactly that you are going to become an elder and you're going to pass that knowledge back down to the the you know the, the new community mm. so this is this is the tribal model um, and it's it's the simple version Of what what the tribal model is just like the pyramid is the simple version of modern society. Yeah
0: that's thank you for explaining that and and articulating the 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 values of things like rites of passage. Um, Mm -hmm. You know things that we can see even though I've been doing a bit of rites of passage work to educate myself and to to help be part of um, helping youth transition into adulthood. Um, along with some amazing people in Australia who are doing this work. Um, and I'm thinking of Dr. Anna Rubenstein in, in particular. Now, there's so, so I, lo- I love the way that you explained the, how, how these transitions from childhood to adolescence to adulthood to eldership have such a powerful... They, they provide like this map for us to navigate through life, which gives us directionality. But the whole time <clears throat> that we're going around this circle... We're like we've got connection to the centre, to our our cultural identity, which is just um, a a beautiful way of seeing things. Now, how does how does that correlate? How how does that contrast to your experience of uh, living in a first world, um, so called civilized country?
1: Yeah. Um, Well, I'm just going to explain to somebody that I want to call at the moment. So just with me one second. Yeah. Ah, No, it's all good. Um, So, where I'm going to be on the call for a bit, news game. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's no, all good. Um, yeah. So where where people are going to be able to? Yeah. I just want to... Yeah. That's okay. Oh. Yeah. Um, so where it really yeah. is, uh, where people will be able to relate to this model, is in a multicultural society where we don't have any sort of connection to the land in terms of we don't see the land or the animals or the trees as family or ancestors. Mm-hmm. If we've, we've come to a foreign place mm-hmm. and we're just, just making a home here, mm-hmm. but we have, we live in these houses mm-hmm. and we, we have the family. So we don't have this layer of brothers and sisters or this layer of uncles and aunties and this layer of, um, elders. We have our mom, our dad, uh, if, they're, if they're still together. We have our brothers and our sisters. And then we live in a box next to other boxes. And we are surrounded by millions of people, but often we're actually quite alone. So if we have some, some drama happen to us, we, we're not actually connected to this tribe that's going to, you know, emerge from their houses and, and support us. A lot of us don't even know our neighbors' names. And a lot of us even trust our neighbours to look after our kids or even our pets. You know, so there's there 's this huge disconnect between the people that we 're surrounded with, mm-hmm. and all of our lives we spend looking for our tribe most mm-hmm. of the time and What that means is that when we get to high school we 're trying to find where we belong mm-hmm. because a lot of the time we don't relate to our parents you know their parents our parents from a different generation we 're disconnected from their values or disconnected from their their worldviews, and we start looking in high school for this clique, you know, we're, we're the goth, we're the popular people, we're the jocks, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we're trying to find this cultural identity that, that resonates with us. And usually we find it within music subcultures. Mm-hmm. And we sort of immerse ourselves in that. But within those music subcultures, there's certain values, there's certain styles, there's certain, you know, uh, there's things that we can identify with. And, but it, it kind of, uh, sort of pitters out because there isn't actually this community there. It's just something that we enjoy and we relate to a lot of people that also enjoy that same thing. And where it's it's really quite powerful is when people find religion um, because religion actually has the tribal model. It has the elders. You have, I'm not sure if you've been to church before, but you get to church There's somebody there to welcome you. You've got, you know, you've got this complete contained system, a set of values, uh, a real structured sort of life cycle of your existence within that community. And when people that have been searching for an identity their entire lives find that, and it's a complete model of society, they feel like they're home. They feel like they belong somewhere. Mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily being filled with the Holy Spirit. They've just gotten an identity. That hole, that lack of identity that, that, that they were feeling, it has just been plugged by community, mm. by tribe. It's so interesting to say that, man. Like,
0: yeah, my my mother's staying with me at the moment, and she's a very fundamental uh, religion religious person, Jehovah's Witness. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, when she when she had the knock on her door, she was badly searching for, for meaning mm-hmm. and and for identity. And it's so interesting to hear you say, like, when, when this complete package of like yep. a, a tribe is 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 presented to you, and they've got elders, and they've got Roles to play, and they've got transitions in their in their development, and all this, and it must have just been like nectar to her to her to her consciousness to to have this thing that was so missing from her. That's interesting to say that how how we're all searching for that wholeness.
1: It is, yeah, and that and that's that's the hole that I identified in my life because the first tribe that I found outside of my real tribe was gang, you know. So when I got involved in, uh, so when when I when I was uh, experiencing racism. Um, you know, a Cambodian kid came up to me, put his hand on my shoulder. I think I was in grade two at the time and just said, us Asians have got to stick together. And so I hung out with him and there was probably about five Asians, um, in like in the whole school. <laughs> so it was a very, very small group, but those, those friends of mine, all of their older brothers were in one of the largest Asian gangs in the house out of Eastern suburbs, you know, so that kind of set up my pathway into this particular tribe and gang culture has a lot of that hierarchy as well. You know, it's very about, you know, brotherhood and, um, it's, 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 it's got its, it's got its, um, you know, hierarchy within that. You've, and that's, 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 that's where I felt, um, I belonged for a while. And until, uh, the, the the dangers and risks of being involved in gangs started to, Really Manifest in my life, and I had to find a way out of that so yeah, how did you find a way out and what what was
0: was it was it a case of being uh, pushed out by the by the sense of of danger or was there also like a pull out in the sense of there's just a, a better way to live or, or greater opportunities what What was sort of like pulling you into the future at that stage
1: two uh amazing oh, i'd say three um, uh, amazing things happened one was uh, not so great, but it was the catalyst. And that was, um, so we, we were like uh, 15, 16 year olds and um, all, all of my friends were heroin traffickers and uh, or heroin addicts. And, you know, that was, that was my circle of friends and crimes were getting really serious, you know, so armed robberies, uh, really serious violent crimes and friends were dying in high speed car pursuits and drug overdoses. And I was looking at my future outlook um and and seeing the um the knock-on effects of some of the the situations my crew was getting into and realizing that simply by being associated I'm at risk and some bad things happened all of my friends uh escaped back to Cambodia and Vietnam and I was sort of left uh to sort of, you know, uh try and keep myself not very visible on the street for, for quite some time. During that time, I met a girl. Uh, she was a hippie. And um, so she introduced me to a whole new, mm-hmm. um, uh, I guess, worldview. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and that, that changed things a lot in, in terms of I realized that there was other cultures other than, you know, NWA-inspired gangster you know, train thugs and, mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. And that was really that was really good, um, but what really set things off was my maths teacher. Uh, I was in class. I'd never passed any year of school. I'd been expelled twice, and I was in maths class. And I uh, I had um, my maths book. I was you know doing my my usual graffiti, and he was walking around the classroom, and I just saw him turn his head in my direction, and I went to close my maths book, um, but he saw it, and he came over. He opened up my maths book, saw it full of graffiti and and no mass and rather than sort of you know yell at me he just sort of you know turned every page just sort of you know looking at it just being quite impressed and then he asked if um for me to see him after class so after class he said well i've 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 learned that you're going to be getting expelled but i think you've got some talent i think you should do this multimedia course that i'm doing um and uh he, he he tried several times to convince me i had no interest in computers whatsoever and um he finally said the magic words and that was you don't have to wear school uniform. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, I'll, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> so I, I went into that course and it was, surra- I was surrounded by all really smart kids and we had to use Photoshop. I just used the line tool, paint bucket tool and brick texture effect. And I did a graffiti piece in Photoshop. And I didn't realize that some of the kids were like, standing behind me. And they were, like, really impressed. And they said to me, that's really good, Joel. And these were the kids that I was always jealous of because they were smarter than me. And now all of a sudden I'm getting acknowledgement for, you know, my skills being valuable and not seen as criminal damage. Mm. And after that, we had to do a website. um, And I just discovered my potential through that validation And now I was like, I want to see what this potential could do. And the project was design a website. I wanted to do a fashion website, not really realizing that I needed to have clothes to take photos of just to put on this website. So I went out and made some clothes. Um, I got a roll of photos, uh, polar fleece from Spotlight. My mum helped me make a jumper. The jumper sort of looked like the FUBU. I'm not sure if you remember FUBU from back in the day. Yeah. I wore the one jumper to school, and my friend's like, where would you get your jumper? And I said, I made it. They didn't believe me, so I said, how much would you give me if I made you one? They said, yeah, about 90 bucks. Caught the train into the city, bought a massive roll of polar fleece, made 10 jumpers, went back to school sold them all in a week, made $900. (laughs) And that same week, my friend made only just a bit more than that selling heroin. So I suddenly realized that I've got something, I've got talent that I can convert into money and I now have unlimited options available to me uh, for my future. And that's when I became an entrepreneur. But I didn't know what an entrepreneur was until about 10 years later
0: hmm yeah man so what happened what came next
1: uh so i decided that i wanted to be a fashion designer (laughs) and and uh i finished the school i finished that course i enrolled myself as an adult student in box hill senior secondary i did three fashion courses and uh during that time my friend um uh put his earbud in my ear and and showed me some music that he made and uh, I was I was just stunned that he was able to just get some software online and start making music. And uh, I was into electronic music by that stage. And when I was doing the financial modelling for setting up a bricks and mortar business at 19 years old, uh, you know, uh, I, I I was looking at you know, this capital outlay of you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then this other option, which was download free music-making software and just make music. And so I I chose that. It seemed like the more sensible, less risky um, pathway. And so I started making music on friends' computers. And um, within about a year, I'd done my first uh, party. And then I started playing gigs every weekend. And then a year later, I started a record label. Uh, we released five albums. I had about um, 12 artists signed to my label in about uh, nine different countries. I was doing events. Um, you know, I was designing flyers. And so I was fully immersed in the music industry. Mm. Uh, and that's where all of my entrepreneurial skills was carved, just mm-hmm. figuring things out myself um, while I had a factory job you know, and um, yeah, just doing all this stuff in the music industry. And and all of those skills that I learned are now being applied to mm. disaster recovery in British Virgin Islands.
0: That's awesome, man. And what a great story. Thanks for sharing that. Okay, so, yeah, nice. okay, so when you talk about the skills that are being applied to uh, disaster relief in places like the British Virgin Islands, <clears throat> places that get smashed every year by just a... a just like a cascade of like horrendously powerful hurricanes. So, what what skills are you talking about here? So, um, just just explain exactly like what what you are learning and, and how it's applicable to this disaster relief world that you're that you're more than stepping into.
1: Um, Well, I actually got to explain another missing component from this story that connects us to here is that uh, I I got to a certain stage in the music industry uh, where all of my meetings, all of my gigs um, were just free drugs and alcohol. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I actually developed uh, quite uh, serious uh, addiction problems and I had to leave Melbourne. I went to Cairns, got myself into rehab, and I was in rehab when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do for entertainment with the rest of my life, because all the things that I loved doing, going to parties and clubs and performing and all of that was all suddenly taken away from me because it was too risky and there wasn't any healthy options for me. Mm. So I wanted to do a healthy, like a fitness festival, all of the music that I love, none of the bad stuff. Um, and I, I wanted it to be like, a a refuge for people like me who are in the scene, who know, they've got a problem, but there's no alternatives for them. Um, And as I started to think about, okay, how am I going to make this, this fitness festival? I just looked back over my career and looked at all the money I'd lost from, from parties, looked at the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars that every festival organizer that I knew had, had lost. And, they just decided that if, if I'm going to do this, I've got to figure out how to not go broke trying to create something positive, you know, for the world, or for people like me. And that's when uh, I I um, I came up with the initial idea for Metavents. It was I just wanted to not go financially um, bankrupt trying to bring this idea to you know to the world, and the the whole concept of being able to fail safely. Um, fail affordably, uh, as many times as I needed to, just, just kept on going over and over in my head. And, uh, and so I sort of turned to simulation. I turned to, um, I took inspiration from SimCity and I, I I challenged myself to think of how I could plan something as complex as the Olympic Games or a world tour on a mobile device. And that was, that was sort of where I started. Uh, the more I learned about the challenges of, of festival organization, um, the, the more I realized just, just how, how many problems need solving in, in the event space. And I could draw on all of my experience as an event organizer, as a music producer, as a record label and look across the ecosystem of, of the music and events industry and basically start to Design a new model, one that sort of disregards everything that's come before, and just looks at the available technology and try to c- construct something new from what is available or what is emerging. And that's really where I started to um, to see just how powerful um, uh, reaching a global audience through virtual reality could be, because you can only fit so many people in a venue, mm-hmm. but you might have you might have a headlining artist that might have 40 million Twitter followers. Mm-hmm. So when you book that person and you make a whole bunch of money, uh, if you're lucky, you're still only capitalizing on 0.0001% of the attainable market. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to, wanted to to find a way to reach that total audience and have a way for that, that smaller audience, um, uh, uh, smaller contributions of money to be repurposed into things like, you know, humanitarian projects. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's an incredible amount of wealth out there if we can tap into these large audiences, um, at volume, but with really small transactions. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- these are, these are all the things that sort of have, have fed the idea of rock against poverty and Metavents and um, and it really has come from personal experience of failure, and understanding intimately what what it, what are the drivers of these failures, and then just coming up with the solution for it.
0: Interesting, man. When you're talking there, I'm, I just immediately got the sense that it's not just failure in terms of failure of the fashion label that you start up, or failure of an events company that you that you might start up or failure of a of of a one-off event that you've created. But you're also tying in like failure of disaster relief plans or contingency planning and things like that. This is all this concept of like failing and failing safely and using technology to to um create environments where we can fail more safely is is all is is it's really interesting how that's woven into your reality now from a from a history of perceiving like real failure and feeling real failure. Mm-hmm. That's,
1: that's very fascinating. That's right, yeah. Like for example, I, I was at Rainbow Serpent. I was giving a talk on Rock Against Poverty and Medevents and mainly the importance of good disaster planning uh, or, or risk risk management planning, beginning with its origins in, in festivals. Mm-hmm. Um, the day before I was meant to present, a lightning strike hit um, the, 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 field 150 meters away from about 10,000 people, um, you know, who were camped there. This wildfire spread really quickly. The emergency services got there, but if it hadn't rained, like, I mean, pelted down and uh, assisted in extinguishing that fire, that would have been a full evacuation of 20,000 people. And it very nearly could have been a serious disaster with casualties. That there's never been something like that happen at Rainbow Serpent before. And that was the day before I was meant to be giving a talk on the importance of, you know, better risk management planning, because every single year you you churn your staff when you're doing your festival. So no matter how good you're writing your emergency management documentation so that you can get your permit, none of the punters know about it. Now, most of your staff might know about it. The emergency services might know about it and some of the crew might know about it. But if you have to evacuate 20,000 people who are most likely in a higher state of consciousness, maybe haven't slept for a few days, and you all of your crew don't know what the plan is, it's next to impossible to ever get the results that you expected or that you drew out in, in that plan. Mm-hmm. So the, the likelihood of a plan being executed the way that you expect is nearly zero. Mm. Um, so by being able to use a simulation – we can leverage the ability for software to just uh, simulate every permutation of a possible disaster scenario and then just give you the 10 most probable out of 10,000 simulations. Mm -hmm. And then emergency management can then actually plan for those most likely scenarios. Mm -hmm. The emergency management plan can then be part of a, Patron induction before you actually go to the festival. And this is something we're incorporating into the ticketing system of MetaVent. Is as a one before you can get your ticket, you have to do a basic safety induction. So you have to explore the simulation of the festival, find out where first aid is, the info tent is, the, um, the, you know, water stations. And then we'll incentivize people to learn more about harm reduction or the emergency evacuation process by doing these like little missions. So these missions might be uh, how do you tell if somebody's just sleeping on the ground or whether they've overdosed on GHB? What do you do if you see a sexual assault? What do you do if you, um, you know, uh, have uh, witness theft or antisocial behavior? All of these stuff will be like little challenges, and every time you complete one, you get a uh, discount on your ticket. So we're able to now incentivize mm-hmm. people through this digital portal which is going to be massive for the event organizers because now they have analytics on how many people have X, you know, have a certain amount of safety knowledge. Mm. Um, this is the thing that we're able to start introducing to the general public um, in, in a disaster scenario. So what do you do in a, design, in, a, in a category five hurricane? You've got your first responders that know what to do. You've got the NGOs that kind of know what, what to do, but they depend on volunteer labor as well. These are all inexperienced people that just have really big hearts and want to help. Uh, but then you have the population that really doesn't know what to do. Um, and by introducing something like this virtual reality headset, which is, you know, at the you know, if you're looking at distributing something like this to a whole population, you're looking at a couple of dollars, you know, per unit. Wow. And the mobile phone that everyone has in their pockets is the hardware. And each person now can do a basic harm, uh, you know, a disaster preparedness simulation. And that government can know X, amount, X percentage of our population knows how to respond to a Category 5 hurricane.
0: Amazing. <clears throat> Have you been in touch with the, with the organizers at Burning Man and, and big festivals like that?
1: Uh, to, to a degree. Um, so there's a challenge within the festival space, uh, and that is the festival organisers contract all of their services to deliver those festivals. As long as that festival makes money and they don't go broke, they don't care what it took for those that ecosystem of suppliers to make that event happen. So the organisers of the event typically aren't the ones to really jump at innovation. Um, it's usually everybody else, because everybody else are the ones that have had to, you know, go well beyond um, their capacity to actually make the event happen. They know where, what all the problems are. They're the ones demanding innovation. They're the ones that are not getting paid um, when the festival doesn't okay. uh, go right. Cool.
0: Well, after the show, I'll, I'll make an introduction um, I'll, about the, the founders of Envision Festival in Costa Rica. I've just come back from there. And I spent a lot of time with the founders of Envision Festival and they do care and they are invested and they are very much on the ground um, and they're very progressive. I,
1: yeah, I actually came across them just recently and I instantly thought that they would be actually a really good fit.
0: Yeah, they would be really good fit. They're, they're, I I, feel like they'd jump at something like that. Um, yeah. Dude, let me, uh, you, you mentioned before, I'm, I'm super interested to, um, first of all, we're about to get into like the the, the current reality and the, and the projects that the reason why you're, you, you've been in the British Virgin Islands recently, the reason why you're, um, you're, you're traveling around the world, sharing this amazing message, um. Let's get into that right now. So, so just so people can fully understand uh, what your project is right now, we've, we've explored your story, we've explored your um, indigenous roots and your connection to uh, tribal traditions that honor uh, rites of passage, connection with the land, and have a uh, what I view as a, a wiser, more integrated view on what life is all about. We've gone through your story trying to integrate into a different form of society and, and finding tribe... Through gang culture, we've explored a little bit about how um, you're experiencing your experiences with 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 failure um, in your rapid learning experiences in the music industry have led to this point where right now you've got such an interesting diversity of skills and experiences in your tool belt um, yeah. and now you're you're at, you, you seem to be extremely focused on using this for the greater good so yeah. what help help me and everyone else understand like what what is it in your in your philosophical tool belt or what is it that's guiding you to to, to do exactly what you're doing right now like like do you know what i'm getting at here like, like i know exactly yeah
1: yeah okay help me out uh, so this this uh was really triggered by um when i when i uh, when I got out of rehab, I, I needed to go and connect back with tribe. And I went back to Malaysia and, um, and went to Borneo and met with my uncle. Mm. And our our family has uh, 2,000 acres of jungle and many of the other indigenous people have as well. But the government policy is that if, you're, if the indigenous people aren't living on their land or farming it, it gets taken off them. And the, it, it gets sold on to logging companies or... Um, you know, the palm oil industry, et cetera, et cetera. So in order to keep our land, we usually have to grow cash crops. And the most valuable cash crop is palm oil. Um, and I, I, I went to, back to Borneo because I wanted to go into the jungle and make music in the jungle. That was, that was my mission. That's what I felt that I needed to do. And my uncle said that, you know, we've, we've got to start thinking about how we're going to divide this land up because it's, it's going to start being, um, you know, taken away from us. And I, I suggest that you, you guys uh, do a little bit of a palm oil plantation. And I wanted no part of that whatsoever. And when I, when I came back to Australia from that trip, I was racking my brain about you know, how, how am I going to prevent or do something about this, this devastation that's just happening uh, on, on our land, which is, which I believe is actually the the most deforested country on the planet now. Um, and I saw a Ted talk on green school in Bali mm-hmm. and that was all this amazing bamboo architecture. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, it just, everything just connected. I, I realized that Metavents, this this tool that i was developing allows you to manage and plan and and, and simulate infrastructure projects that's what a festival is it's an infrastructure project mm-hmm. and i thought well maybe there's a way in which i could use this tool to reimagine what the village would be like maybe there's a way that we could go back to the jungle live in these bamboo uh you know uh, villages but bring the internet back there so we're still connected to the global economy and we can we can build digital businesses, you know, like uh, music production or animation, game development, huge industries. That's what I wanted to do. I was like, I, I think I think I've, I've got a way. And what virtual reality allows me to do in that case is design my entire vision of of how we could live in the jungle once again with all of the abundance that the land affords on our land that it's, it's ours, you know, that's, that's, that's our home. And we've got, we've lived that way for thousands of years. And all we are doing is we are bringing in some connection to the outside world that allows us to continue to engage and then continue to still participate in that global economy. But we don't have to sacrifice, um, you know, we 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 don't have, we just don't have to sacrifice in the same way. Mm. And I can design all of that in a simulation. Go back to Malaysia and put a headset on my uncle or any elder mm. and say experience my vision. Mm. You know, we can go back. I don't need to give him a presentation. I don't need to give him a PowerPoint or a budget or you know a hundred pages of documentation. I can put them in. What I imagine, how we can return back to the jungle, mm. and then, if they want to do that, the whole project has already been planned in a simulation. you just press go, you know all of the suppliers uh, will be a part of the the platform, all of the costs are known, the logistics are known, the risks like all of those factors are already factored in. we can simply get to work and this is this is the thing that i've I've realized is 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 I guess my, my calling, my purpose is, mm. is to build this capability that allows firstly the indigenous people to return back to their land because 80% of the world's biodiversity is on indigenous land mm-hmm. and we need to protect that. And the best way to protect that is if we can bring the indigenous people back into their land, they can reconnect with that model of abundance and that model of tribe and we can let that be the example for the rest of the world. We can show a working model. And one of the one of the things that I always sort of revert back to when I think about this possibility is when I was in San Francisco and I was uh, at some VR conferences and I was on the main street. And here we are with like a, a trillion dollars market cap within a couple of blocks, you know, with some of these big tech companies are on the doorstep of some of these tech companies was a homeless person sleeping. Mm -hmm. And this, this idea that with all of this money and all of this wealth in Silicon Valley, they can't solve poverty on their own doorstep. You know, what qualifies them to be trying to solve problems in, in other world, in, in in other cultures. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I, I really believe that the answer is in the tribal model. The way in which we're able to live in abundance and and wealth without money, and this is the knowledge that needs to be brought forward to the rest of the world. Not this monetary capitalist model brought from modern society into 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 cultures that have lived without it for thousands of years.
0: I oh, hold of that, brother. So bringing the tribal model in, this is let's, let's let's dive into that a little bit more, man, because this is something yeah. very close to my heart. I spend a a lot of time exploring indigenous <clears throat> traditions and different worldviews like sure. um because we can it's it's just so clear to see with all of our senses how the the world that we're living in now is a function of perceptions and worldviews and and levels of consciousness uh, yeah. which are then perpetuated through cultural artifacts like our political yeah. system our economic system our, our business environment and so forth and just like the 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 incentivization structure is so um, egocentric rather than eco-centric, um, and that's what's resulted in, in in the world that we're living in now. So it's fascinating to hear you bring this back to uh, bringing back the tribal model because I think for a lot of people that doesn't actually like that concept. Um, there's a huge awareness piece that needs to be filled in there because we have been taught that uh, the, you know we're, we're obviously We've been taught that our civilization is obviously more civilized than indigenous tribes who don't have flat screen TVs and, and all that sort of thing. Um, so we must be more advanced than them in, in so many ways. So There's a huge awareness piece. So I, I love the way that, you're, that you've got your roots in that indigenous uh, culture, but yet your day in day out life is, is spent working on like cutting edge technology and you, sh- and you hold a vision of going back to your village and putting a, a VR set on your uncle or another elder in that village so that you can blend, blend the worlds, so that we don't have to live in this either-or world. We don't have to like yeah. say, all right, let's just burn all the technology and go back to the jungle and live as nature. Um, mm-hmm. you, you're not saying that. You're, you're living in this... like. Instead of the, the either or, you're living in the and kind of like reality. Like, yeah. let's, let's collapse the polarities and collapse the paradox um, and, and, and create a blend, which I think is very, very inspiring for people out there who, who are feeling very disillusioned and, and in despair at the way the world yeah. is going. Yeah. Cool, man. So let's just get super clear on, on the, the future vision, bro. So if you could just uh, help us understand what the 10-year vision is uh, for Rock Against Poverty.
1: Mm. Okay, so just to recap on rock, what uh, the Rock Against Poverty Initiative is, it's 50 events, 25 countries to raise a billion dollars annually for disaster mitigation and poverty alleviation projects. 45 of those event, events are actually going to be relatively small, could be 500 to you know, a couple of thousand people. Those are mostly going to be run by students studying um, event management or, um, uh, or, or music in general. Um, the other... Five events are going to be major events, anywhere from 20,000 to 100,000 capacity events. Um, What we're doing at BVI is we are piloting the Rock Against Poverty model. So we have a country that needs support. We have an NGO that is going to be doing charity events, and we have a technology that's going to facilitate those donations getting to the recipients in total transparency. So that's that's our mission so we're we're wanting to spread the the word of, of what we're doing here in BVI so it reaches the other at-risk countries that really need this sort of support um, what what this means is that if we're able to successfully prove this model uh, the 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 butterfly effect of this is going to be massive um, because there's billions of dollars that just evaporates on its way to the people that, that, need, that need these funds and simply by creating transparency we will be able to manifest billions of extra dollars for the countries that actually need this help and it's a uh, this year uh, 2018 it's, it's all about telling that story. It's all about letting the world know that a solution is on the way and that the countries that need this help need to reach out to us. And, and we need help from people to reach out to those countries to, to let them know that, that that help is available. So we're really looking for, or we're really looking to form this like ambassador network this year. Mm-hmm. Um, 50 fifty events in 25 countries, it's a massive undertaking as well. So we're really looking to engage with production companies, with existing, um, you know. Uh, heart-centred, uh, impact-centred festival brands, event brands, people that are already thinking like this, that that, that want to be a part of this movement um, and to, to really build relationships in all the countries that we hope to be working with this year. That's the plan for this year. We're going to be doing two launch events, one in Copenhagen Island in, in Thailand, the other one in, in BVI. Um, the um, the, the other countries that we're already talking with are Philippines as well. Uh, Philippines has, has a lot of uh, natural disasters, typhoons, etc. Um, and we've, we've already got a lot of projects uh, happening in the Philippines already. So in, in all, anywhere across the Caribbean, in Asia in particular, um, anywhere that's been impacted by disasters, but these are the two areas that we are focused on this year. Next year is when we start the initiative that's the fifty events and um, so we've got this year to to build this momentum, build this awareness and align with all the people that can help us execute this first year successfully and then we just refine that model and just keep doing that for the next ten years until we've we've helped all of the most at risk countries. Um, uh, in in protecting them from future disasters and helping them recover from the the ones that that they've been hit with, and what's really interesting is uh, when we when we launch in or when we do the soft launch in um, Thailand and and BVI, it's it's going to be around um, hurricane season for BVI. So a year on from Hurricane Irma and Maria, which by the way. 20, 2017 was the most costly year for natural disasters ever recorded. So $306 billion in damages all around the world. The year before was just under half that. So in 12 months from the previous hurricane season to the next one, double the cost in damages. So storms are getting more severe. Uh, they're becoming more frequently and there's a really good chance that when we do this soft launch this year it may even be a recovery effort because of this coming hurricane season so it's I'm, I'm really mindful that what we're doing um the faster we can do it the, the 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 chances are that we could save lives by by getting getting this this happening really quickly um every year now we've got a hurricane season and we don 't know if, if each year is going to be worse than the last there 's a really good chance that it could be so there 's definitely this um, sense of urgency and the the need to really um, bring people around around this message and 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 this story and, and the possibility that we can we can really make impact and My favorite thing about all of this is that we 're making impact through events through doing what we love doing you know going going to festivals going to concerts and No one really has to change doing what they're doing, Um, but it's just the way in which we deliver the funding from these events, whether it's the charity event or a commercial event. All of this money can now get to the people that need it without them having to go through incredible lengths just to be visible in the media. And so, what sort of events are these? Um, So, the Rock Against Poverty events are going to be um, mainly. Your your standard type of charity concert, um, you know. Are you familiar with Global Citizen? Global Citizen um, is probably the best model at the moment for uh, impact driven events, and um, I see like a really strong alignment with what we're doing with with Rock Against Poverty and uh, and Global Citizen. And and just to give them um, uh, to explain a little bit about their model, you, you can't really buy a ticket. To global citizen you have to earn it through taking action so they have a lot of these causes which are part of their mission and they have templates like social media post sharing templates petitions that you can do all of these things that somebody can really simply do by just sharing a tweet signing a petition and that all goes to um the, a really specific minister within within government to to incentivize them to take action and um, so I, I like the, that sort of model is is really fantastic for for creating awareness. Um, the challenge for most charity events is it 's the application of resource that is a little bit difficult because there 's no real infrastructure set up for that. Um, so in saying that, we're looking for other charities that are already doing charity events to align with us as well. And um, what we do is, is we create a, a, uh, like a, a ticketing solution that allows those funds to be delivered to a project that's been planned on the platform. That's where Rock Against Poverty is unique. Um, so any charity that's already doing charity events, we, we really want to align with them. On the flip side, there's the commercial event industry. This is where our ticketing system is going to take just a small percentage of the booking fee that they would be charged from any other event management software, and that is going to go into the same projects. So, on one side, you have the charity events where usually all of their proceeds go into the cause that they're working towards. But now we're able to tap into the global events industry where there's hundreds of millions of tickets being purchase every single year we can take a really small percentage of that at volume we can start to channel that into these projects creating a continuous source of funding for these projects that 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 need that that resource Mm -hmm. so we're looking for any festival any concert any promoter anybody that's already doing events that wants to leverage what they're already doing to now start creating impact in the world as well Um, so anybody in the event industry, in the music industry, um, you know, film, sports, like anybody that has a, a following, we, we, we're we wanting this this tribe of ambassadors mm-hmm. um, and supporters, and and that's really what what we're what we're committed to this year, getting as much awareness as as possible and building a really big, solid network of um of of people and businesses and organizations that can can help um you know uh, facilitate this over the next decade
0: awesome man thanks for explaining that uh, mm. that vision and big power to you and let's uh let's manifest that tribe yeah. there's, there's people out there this is happening like every single conversation retreat mastermind yeah. event that i go to <clears throat> there's just this ratcheting up of the desire to be part of The solution, rather than the problem. So this is the time we're we're living in. Such a fascinating time to be alive. Like this convergence of technology and consciousness and um, access to funding, and not just that. that, That's on the solution side, but this. But what's happening on the on the challenge side in terms of the the global uh, climate situation that unites us all? Mm -hmm. That has a massive effect on our consciousness to realize that we're actually all together on this beautiful earth and we're yeah. all going to we're all going to suffer the consequences of right, yeah. what's going on so it's a big unifying time and it's a time where many indigenous prophecies uh, talked about this time happening yeah. you know yeah. in south america they talk about the 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 time of the the eagle and the condor and they talk about the shambala warrior in mm. in in tibet but uh this is this has been prophesied by other cultures as like um uh, a time where people like you and I step up to, to create the movements and gather the tribe um, for the greater good. So big big power to you, brother. Thank you so much oh, yeah, for, for, for stepping up. Um, before we close, um, I'd love to understand a little bit about what flow means to you. This is a podcast called the Flow State Performance Podcast. Uh, yeah. We haven't really touched on it. Um, <clears throat> We talked. A, we 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 glanced over the concepts of uh, altered states of consciousness or or different levels of consciousness coming from different worldviews and, and different levels of connection with land and tribe and rites of passage. Mm. But what about for you, man? Like, what's what, what's your sort of philosophy on how you um, develop your inner state, and you know, perhaps maybe that segues into like what flow is to you.
1: Mm. Well, I exists in a perpetual state of flow. <laughs> like it's just uh I think when you when you connect into your life purpose mm. it there's there's nothing that that really switches that off. Sometimes you have to be mindful to step out of flow. You know when when you are that when you are that in it, it's it's like being caught in a riptide. Uh, there's uh you know it's 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 something that you almost have no control over when it gets really in flow, and this is this is the the way i've been um ever since coming back from Borneo and realizing mm. that that there's there's these there's these conditions on people around the world that are just totally unfair, and there are solutions to those problems, but navigating the bureaucracy to be able to implement them is, is really challenging. So I'm constantly finding these new applications for this tool that I'm developing and my mind never switches off to navigating these, these, these challenges of, of how to, how to bring these solutions to the people that need them. When you have uh, potentially governments that really are benefiting from non transparency and non accountability and, and um, it's, it's not an easy thing to just jump in and say, here's a solution and, and let's roll it out. There's so much planning that that has to go into this. There's so much expertise that you need to leverage. And um, and so so much of my time is spent just educating myself. And the more I learn, the more uh doors open, the more you know, pathways become clear, and there's this there's this nonstop momentum like there's uh, I've got a massive set of sails and there's wind just blowing me forward, you know. Um, and that's, that's really like I just don't know how else to describe, you know, my, my day-to-day existence. It's, it's just so crystal clear mm-hmm. and I've, I, I, have to phys- I have to really remind myself to, to step out of that for a bit otherwise I would not sleep. I would not do anything else and uh, so for me it's it's finding this balance is trying to trying to find a way to consider my my own health and well-being to make sure that I'm I'm energized enough to operate at my peak um, really efficiently and um, so that's that's something that I've I've kind of struggled with you know most most of my life because I've you know on entrepreneurial uh, you know, lifestyle. It's there's a lot of hustle going on. You know, particularly if you're figuring things out yourself, you're constantly bouncing back from falling over. You know, so um, I've I've learned techniques uh, to to help me streamline the way that I embark on these um, on the on these journeys that that has helped a lot when I did my um, a masters of entrepreneurship and innovation. So having these structures having these uh, guidelines and and uh, an order, for, order to things um, has been incredibly helpful for me. And now there's a, a whole set of tools, a new type of flow that I, I need to get into, which is about my health and wellness, you know, mm. it's, it's balancing that with this incredible drive that I've got. And um, so that's really high in my agenda because I've, there's been times where I I haven't slept for for days just working on what it is that I'm doing completely substance free, you know, just nonstop. Mm
0: -hmm. Interesting, bro. Yeah. This, this is, this is where it's at really. Like I, I, it's great that you've identified your next, level or the, the sort of threshold for you to enter into that next level of sustainable peak performance as a purpose-driven entrepreneur because you touched yeah. on that beautiful point of this kind of like unstoppable force when you tap into ultimate mm-hmm. service and contribution to life because yeah. so you're actually like acting on behalf of life itself so you've got this like yeah. massive amount of like kind of like spiritual energy that's fueling you right yeah. but there are other dimensions. There are the physical dimensions, the psychological dimensions, the emotional yeah. dimensions to reality. Yeah. So it's really important for entrepreneurs to have this holistic, uh, this holistic way of optimizing their life because right. we we can get sucked into the service and the contribution and just the fun of it
1: all, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, so. yeah and and something that I actually realized that, and this this comes from uh, the period in in where I, I I battled with addiction, is that so I, I after after um, sorting myself out, a, a friend of mine um, uh, needed to get treatment, and he started going to uh, NA meetings and AA meetings, and I decided to go back just because um, uh, just just to support him, just to go to those meetings. Because uh, I I I really like sharing my story, and when I was there, I actually realised that um, there was a there was a part of the addiction that wasn't actually the the substances itself, but it's it's the feeling that I felt uh, that that was very similar to how I felt when I discovered a new opportunity. So, as an entrepreneurs, we actually have opportunity addiction mm. where we we can come across this new idea this new innovation and all of a sudden we don't sleep right we don't eat right we don't have you know close connections with with our circle of friends and we just obsess over this thing and and it's usually just that startup rush you know what you get when you first encounter this 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 new thing and all of a sudden a new opportunity comes along and you jump on that you just go through that same that same cycle of Mm-hmm. of you know, perpetuating this uh, it's it's this it's that dopamine you know like totally. it's very very common in, in entrepreneur in entrepreneurship as well and something that I like to just mention whenever talking about entrepreneurship and people who are workaholics is that there's an actual addiction characteristics going on there mm-hmm. and if you are work uh, you know if you are not sleeping and not eating right and yeah. not connecting with people right yeah. then there are real Uh, things that need to be considered and so part of the thing that i'm mindful of and why it's important for me to get into a more balanced flow is because i recognize all of these traits and i know just how deeply Mm. i can get sucked into it Mm. if i'm not uh able to to you know to to find that balance so it is it is really a a priority for me to
0: thank you for bringing that that up up. Um, yeah yeah And that's, and that's why we founded, uh, that's why I do what I do. And that's why flow state X exists to, to sort of accelerate the, Mm -hmm. accelerate the awakening of CEOs, but in a, in a way that is super grounded, right? I'm talking like connection to daily practices and routines, connection with nature, connection Mm -hmm. with that holistic kind of tribe on different stages of the journey to keep us accountable and to keep us grounded and to sort of keep us in check. Because, We, it can be like a runaway train when you're on this entrepreneurial journey and it's almost like it gets 10x when we throw in the service and the contribution and it can yeah. be like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm in service. I'm doing this for the whole. Yeah. And, it can, and it can be like, it can be very unbalanced and yeah. Yeah. we need these mirrors in front of us, all around us to, yeah. to, to sort of like keep ourselves on track. Yeah. So thanks, for, um, thanks for raising that point, man. Um, yeah, yeah, cool, bro. We're going to wrap up the interview there. Um, I've really enjoyed this, man. I'd love to um, just further our connection and see how Flow State can, can serve you and connect you with other people. And it's all about like cross-pollination and, and um, networks like overlapping with other networks. We're living in a world where there's, there's, no, there's no competition, right? It's yeah. Just, like, yeah. How, how can we all support each other to co-create this more beautiful world we know is possible? Yeah thank you so much for coming on the really
1: show no worries thank you so much for having me
0: <laughs> awesome bro um and all finally like just just um just throw down quickly where people can uh find out about rock against poverty and meta events
1: on facebook if they search those words yeah. and uh, on on our website so metavents.com, rock dot joel DeRoss,
0: ross you are a legend um <laughs> thank you very much keep on doing what you're doing brother full support Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Joel De Ross. he's doing fantastic work. I'm just in full support for him, his vision, his project. I love the way how he's weaved this uh, very interesting background from growing up in an indigenous tribe in Borneo to joining gangs who were involved in heroin trafficking, to escape that, to start a fashion label and then to get involved in the music industry, to doing his masters in entrepreneurship and innovation, and to bring it all together in the projects that he's doing which blend VR and AR in the most fantastic way to allow disaster relief, people involved in disaster relief, whole governments um, who are in hurricane zones, to be able to um, use this technology almost like in the way that we play a computer game to create this virtual reality where we can forecast and we can mitigate for these disasters and then, and then we can actually just creates amazing solutions that are going to just minimise um, minimise harm and pain. Um, so it's just fantastic work that's been done there. We talked uh, a little bit about some of the challenges that entrepreneurs in this space face, just like all humans. Um, we can it, it's the it's the challenge it's it's the tipping into imbalance. It's like you know put it put it this way: extremes are easy. It's uh, balancing extremes that take. Take skill and awareness. And we talked a little bit about the challenge to stay grounded um, and to stay connected with nature and not to get sucked into the vortex of doing, doing, doing. Um, if that's something that you're struggling with yourself and if you want to be surrounded by a tribe, we're going to keep you accountable on the path. And we're creating Flow State X specifically for tech founders who want to drive maximum impact. Um, and you can go to flowstatex.com if you want to check out that program. Or otherwise just go to flowstate.co to check out our other offering i'm sending you much love hoping you have a day of infinite flow uh, please let us know that you support this podcast by leaving a review on itunes please feel free to send me an email to giro at flowstate.co if you're liking the vibe if you've got a suggestion if you want to be interviewed anything like that at all if you're looking for support on your journey as a business founder then please just go to flowstate this is why we exist much love
1: thanks for listening to the flow state performance podcast check us out at www.flowstateperformance.com for more inspiration to unleash your potential